Welcome to this episode of Let's Chat. I'm your host, Chris Revel, coming to you the Cat Cave in Providence, Rhode Island. Uh, great guest today. We've got a different type of episode. We have Michelle Battlefisher, which, by the way, best fucking last name ever. Uh, super jealous. Uh, one thing I've always wanted to do is have more scientists, because I don't think we've had any scientists on the show. Uh, really in, uh, inspired by how uh, like, nerd is when they have like Neil deGrasse Tyson on or Bill Nye or uh, those people. Uh, so we ended up, I ended up hearing Michelle on couple of other podcasts and she's got a really great personality and kind of reminded me of like when neil degrasse tyson comes on nerdist to talk about ah uh, the space and shit that he likes that relates to nerd culture but also the science so i thought michelle could do that for us still not exactly sure what she does i asked her uh she's a systems think systems thinking and she doesn't really kind of You'll hear, I'll ask her straight up what it is, and then we talk for an hour, and I'm, I'm still lost. Uh, way smarter than I am. Ooh, fucking awesome, awesome person doing good work. You can check her out online at mbattlefisher. That's uh, her Twitter and her website slash book. You can buy her book, Applications of System Thinking to Health Policy and Public Health Ethics, Public Health and Private Illness, and go to her website, mbattlefisher.wixsite.com. We'll have all this on CoreTownParts.com. You can get everything you need right there. Uh, this is a cool episode. If you're like, even if you're like me and you're in so much short systems thinking is, this episode is totally digestible and fun and it's great for everyone. We do talk about like Comic Cons and, and nerd stuff and TV and we talk about science and uh, she used to work in like a uranium enrichment plant in the summer. I, th- I think that's what she said. I, it's been a little bit since I edited it and <laughs> if that's wrong, oops, but just interesting stuff. I, I think I think Michelle's definitely gonna come back on at some point. She said she's down, and uh, it's great to hear people talk about really complex uh, things uh, at normal people speed, and just kind of let loose and have fun and talk about a little bit of everything. So uh, this is a great episode. Um, hey, if you're listening to this in real time, our next episode won't be up until after Christmas, and that will be with uh, actor stuntman David Chen, who's been in. Television shows, you might have seen them in things such as Mr. Robot, Gotham, and uh, Luke Cage. So we'll definitely talk about that uh, the next episode. Uh, as always, I'm on the Core Parts Network. Our website is CoreTempArts.com. I'm on Twitter at Let's Chat Podcast. And my other podcast, Sketched Out on TV, should be posting a couple of new episodes coming up. We've been taking a little break to do other holiday stuff, but we'll be back. Well, anyway, let's get to it. Let's Chat with Revel and Friends is part of Court and Parts, a podcast network featuring pop culture, TV, and movie podcasts. Check out our other shows, That Pop This Live, Talking Shondaland, We Got Five, and TV Ate My Brain at courtandparts.com. I like talking to people that are smarter than me, and you can explain uh, things. I don't know about that. But I yeah, think people, I, let, let the people listen be a judge, and I think they're going to agree. They're going to be like, who wins? I give it to Michelle. Yeah, I, I already do. <laughs> Well, I mean, no, I already no, no. Out, I, I did outschool you, and I know two and zero, but I don't know if that's uh, something oh, that's you helpful. did. Yeah, Luke Perry. I couldn't think of his name, yeah, but I did it way um, too quick. I was like, well, which version am I two and zero? Jason Priestley. That's the one I really liked. I wasn't yeah, into Luke he Perry, was, uh, but anyway, but he was really like, uh, really like metrosexual yeah. hair, always per- perfect, you know, that just, sort of thing. He, I just went to Comic Con <laughs> in Rhode Island, and uh, the guy who played Steve. I think now he's probably more known for Sharknado. Was Sharknado? There. Oh my god! Can we talk about freaking Sharknado? I love Sharknado. I never saw it. What the hell? I don't have. What do you uh, mean? I don't have cable, so I um, missed it, and that was kind of. It is on Netflix. Yeah, I just I don't know. I don't do anything horror related. Well, that I don't do horror, but yeah. that's campy. This is campy. Wait, wait, a tornado I like with flying sharks. Yeah, I know. Yeah, a tornado full of sharks. So like, I mean, who couldn't love that? But no, I don't do slasher. No, no, I don't do I don't do that sort of thing. But Sharknado, I'm I'm that's cool, uh, big it's fan it. of. So it was him, and then he was across from the actor who played uh, Mr. Belding from Saved by the Bell, 
And I like only at Comic Con. Yeah, I was like, "What do I do? Like, do I wait for them to talk to each other?" (laughs) It'd be like every Comic Con I go to. I I live in Ohio, so we get the ones who are, you know, they're they're available. So we always get the Power Ranger, one of the Power Rangers. How insane is their their popularity? I had no idea they were so popular. I know, I know. And I'm like, there's this long line of people waiting to take pictures with the red Power Ranger. I'm like, wow. And poor Lou Frigno's sitting there waiting and waiting. (laughs) I know. It's like the, you just have to feel bad when your line is so short. I went to a Power Rangers is so long. We went to the, we were in line for the Billy D. Williams panel and there was a line behind our line to get into the next panel of the room, which was the Power Rangers, and it actually filled up. They, they had to stop it. It filled up. No other panel yeah. that entire day filled up besides Power Rangers. I couldn't believe it. I can't. I can't. I mean, I went to see Guardians of the Galaxies, and I'm just like, it still wasn't full. But Power yeah. Rangers was like, oh! I'm like, really? Yeah. Really, really? I don't get it. So Where, we I, can talk Comic Con, but I don't. I've never been to San Diego. I haven't been. Not me either. Like I've only been to the, the Rhode Island one. Right. I've done the regional, so that that kind of limits me in in the discussion. But you know, I'm completely into that kind of fandom, and you know, which uh, which 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 one did you go to? Cleveland? No, Columbus. Columbus. Okay, Where's I forget that there's yeah. more than one city yeah, in Ohio. Yeah, yeah. There's there's. Cincinnati, yeah, you forgot there's more than one city in Ohio. So, yeah, I'm in Columbus, and so okay, there's yeah. Cleveland, Cincinnati, and Columbus. I go to the Columbus one. I, I mean, I've never been to New York. I know, I don't think that's even considered the biggest one. I know San Diego is the biggest Comic-Con, which I've never been to, but yeah. I like the Rhode Island one, A, because it's like three minutes from my apartment. Oh, that's <laughs> uh, helpful. Maybe like eight, but it's, I don't know, it's fun, and um, a lot, of, I actually bumped into some people there I haven't seen in a long time, and the New York Comic Con sold out. They couldn't get into it, so they came a few hours, a few weeks later to Rhode Island Comic Con. They're like, it was fun. Like, I mean, I don't like, I, I don't know, just being like curmudgeon. I feel like I would hate San Diego Comic Con because like, I couldn't get. In, I'm not waiting a day in line. Like, I, I just don't yeah. do that shit. And like, so like, I don't know if I can handle it. I kind of like the, I can get into any con I want. Like, I go for one day. I have a great time, but I'm fine. Like, I don't care about seeing celebrities. I really like the panels. Mm-hmm. But the panels are better in San Diego. But you're not. I'm not going to be able to get into Kevin Smith at Hall H or anything like that because right. I ain't going to wait. So fuck that. <laughs> Precisely. I, yeah, Precisely. I had talked to someone on here who like went to San Diego Comic Con, but didn't get a ticket. They don't go in. They guess there's so much stuff. It's so big. There's like a community of Comic Con around Comic Con where like they have like wow. stuff to do. So I was like, that's kind of cool. So they just went to all these side things. I'm like, yeah, our Comic Con's not like that. Like, no, it's it's in that no. building and that's it. Just like it's in the convention center and you can get a Cinnabon down down the hall. It's yeah, that sort yeah. Of thing. I wish we had a Cinnabon. That would have been dope. <laughs> we had a Dunkin' Donuts in ours. Oh uh, well. Which I do not. You like. know, that's kind of the whole Rhode Island thing. That's really a state, is it? Yeah. So it okay. is one of the fifty. <laughs> Smallest one. So you tell me when we started. Oh, like uh, eight minutes ago. Seriously? Yeah, yeah. That's literally the show. It's just <laughs> us bullshitting. Okay, no. When we're actually live. Yeah, yeah. It's recording. I have my recorder on. Oh, you didn't tell me, did it? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I don't have to. I have a Skype recorder, so it starts recording. Ah, uh, uh, okay. Second. So I caught you in my trap. I, I got you. You did. Yeah. I yeah, you did. Okay. Um, how could I further embarrass myself? Uh, 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 uh um, what? So well, you, well, uh, well, 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 yeah, well. Yeah, I speak. <laughs> well, I well, interviews. Well. Uh, uh, what, did you go to Comic Con this year? I did not go this year. As, you know, sadly, you know, Ohio and the Columbus one, the, the dates are so variable. Sometimes they'll be in June, and sometimes they'll be in October or November. Oh, that's and this time it was in June, and I just completely missed it. So I, I like it when it's right around Halloween, and my mm. kids already have their costumes, and then I like dressing up. What do you go Comic-Con as? Comic-Con as well. 
A few years ago, I went for like a flamenco dancer because I didn't like want to des- like upset people culturally. So yeah. I was a flamenco dancer, and one year I was just some phantom type thing. Who knows? I couldn't even give a name to it. My son had one of those costumes. If you've been to uh, the comics, the costume store where the entire body is completely covered, it's just a, like just a whole black suit with his head covered, and he wanted a Minecraft sword. And I said, well, what's, what's your name? And he, so he, like, made up this whole new creature. Like, he's like, I'm not going to be, I'm going to be what I want to be. I was like, that is just, like, so freaking fascinating. That's awesome. Because, no, it's completely awesome, because it's like you're used to, like, opening up the, the costume. The kid puts it on. It's like, oh, we know that he's Batman. No, my son wanted to just, like, be this whole, I forgot what he called himself. It was, like, the Phantom or something like that. He's like, I am something new. Of course, we couldn't see his face, so we were, like, hoping we didn't confuse him with another kid. But because he had the <laughs> Minecraft. Concern. Right, there was that concern. But because he had the Minecraft sword with it, it was pretty safe to say that that was my child. So, yeah, completely for that originality. But, yeah, I really liked my flamenco costume couldn't wear my flamenco shoes with the nails because i thought that would just be too much but comfortable yeah yeah those probably wouldn't have been the most comfortable but i was ready to do my little flores and do my little dances but i enjoy i enjoy fantasy i enjoy that whole environment even though i was um, old as dirt but it's still fun yeah do you guys have the ghostbuster people who go to yours too no, we do not have the Ghostbusters, but if I remember correctly, no, we we have a lot of, we still kind of like the Jurassic World, and we always have yeah. Batman, Car, yeah. so you got to remember, it's like, they, I'm sure they have to choose where these exhibits go, Wizard Worlds, yeah. and they're like, oh, Columbus, oh, they'll deal with, you know, you yeah. know this once again, because there's always going to be something fascinating. We're like, oh, it's Lord of the Rings dolls that were there five years ago. Yeah. Yes. I, yes. I always no, wonder I, how much is that baked into the convention. Because, like, yeah, there's always the Batmobile. There's always a Jurassic Park right. car. Yeah, there's these group right. of people I was talking to. They they dressed up like the Ghostbusters, and they took pictures with kids and all this Ghostbuster stuff. And all the money went to charity. But I guess they're explaining oh, to me cool. that every state has their own Ghostbusters thing. And then they told oh. me about this documentary on Netflix, which I ended up watching, called Ghost Heads, which is really <laughs> fucking good. And it's like there's a whole crew of people who do that. And they – but, like, they don't put on, like – it's they don't call it cosplay because it's a Ghostbusters outfit. Outfit? I don't know. But it has their name on it. Like a posse? Like a posse? Yeah, it was like a crew of people. Like, they totally, like, go to cons, and they dress up like a Ghostbuster, and they put their names on it, and they take pictures, and they do all the, do a raffle, and then they give all the money to, like, a children's hospital. So like, it's, like, completely, like, Slimer thug life sort it, of it's thing. It's exactly what it is. It's, okay. <laughs> I wish Slimer was there. <laughs> you wish I'm, Slimer was I'm there. I met a working... Is it sort of like, um, is it the bronies, the guys who love... No, I don't think there's, like, a sexual element to it. <laughs> is there a sexual <laughs> element to bronies? I don't no! really know what they are. Um, well, I'm not sure, but there was a documentary on Netflix I didn't about watch it. I started to guys watch it. I who it. are fascinated with My Little, My Little Pony. Pony. Which yeah. I don't know, because I, anim- I love animation, so I'm like, I watch cartoons all the time. I just had that. I actually had heard the new... My Little Ponies are actually supposed to be really good. I just when, never watched You it. should talk to my daughter. I'm sure she could tell you. I'm sure she could tell you right now. I, I, it's usually something in the background when I'm trying to watch my really bad reality TV. People would be really surprised um, of what I watch. I don't find because... it surprising. I always find that with uh, the, the intellects and the academia and the people who have like, stressful jobs that they watch just the garbage. I mean, think about it. It's like I, I spend so much of my time, my brain matter just feels like it's getting squished and squashed all day. I, I don't want to sit there and necessarily watch something that someone may stereotypically call cerebral. So, I mean, I have my moments. I love, like, French comedies. And um, my biggest fascination is I love zombie uh, yeah, shows. Yeah, yeah. So, I zombie. zombie. 
Yes, I do watch iZombie. I love that show. But I wouldn't have iZombie if I did not have Hulu and Netflix because we got rid of cable. Same here. So I'm a tad bit behind. But there's this really cool uh, series that I'm completely addicted to. It's called The Returned. And it's the French version, not the crappy A&E Americanized, you know, sanitized Wonder Bread version of these these people in a small French town that disappeared after a flood like 40 years before. And then they all come back to their community. And so it's coming to this this realization of. We talk in church about resurrection and having life after death, but it's staring this community in the face because their loved ones have actually come back. Hmm. So I love it. I love it. I love it. I tried to convince my sister to watch it, but she was like, it had subtitles. So she watched the American version. I was like, well, okay, I can I only do so much. The American version. Is that the leftovers? Yeah, it was. Yeah, it's on A and E. I watched oh, no, never mind. just a yeah. I I believe it's on A and E. I watched just like little snippets, but I know the scenes so well in the French version that I just looked at the American version. It's like they did not change any of the blocking. It's like the characters are in the exact same place on the sofa, saying the exact same thing. But it's like Joey instead of you know a, a French name. It's just like so oh. like a remake. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's. As, it looked like it was as close to a remake as possible. It's like let's take it out of you know, change it from a baguette to a hoagie, <laughs> and that's all they. And then that's all. It seemed to be all they did. <laughs> so that is my complete utter fascination. There's a really cool uh, series called. A glitch out of Australia, which is also dealing with the undead. So I haven't quite finished that one. It's on Netflix, so I'm kind of looking forward to that. But other than that, I watch things like Dating Naked and The Bachelor, Bachelorette, things like that. Watch any of that stuff. I'm sorry. What in the hell are you doing with your life? <laughs> Nothing productive. <laughs> you're, you're, look, you're just missing out on so, so much, so much, so yeah. much. And I'm sure all of the people in Dating Naked are summa cum laude in something. So I just don't have, I don't have cable, so like I don't even know how to watch that. So I watch everything on Netflix and Hulu and HBO Go and all the accounts I steal from my in-laws. So like, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's like it's like everything is the times are not even meaningful to oh, me. They're like, oh. They're like, oh, this comes on this station at this time. It's like, I well, care. until until it comes on Hulu a week later, and I can binge or, watch it, or like a year later in some instances, right. like iZombie right. season two just came up, which I watched that as it aired on Netflix on Hulu. Oh, you did? Yeah. Um, yeah. Season two's no, good. No, I'm 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 completely behind. I thought season two was starting off rather slow for me, so I have to finish it. And but, it will end in a way that you didn't expect the show to go. Okay, and well, they do like a legit good. zombie movie in the last episode. Okay, well I'm going to have to revisit yeah. it. Yeah, because this is really something about this whole consumption of of television that I can make a freaking it? I no I can make a freaking choice if I want to finish it or not. You know because I. There was all that talk about Luke Cage, and I was just so, so, so excited about Luke Cage. Uh, it was. I only, I only watched two episodes, and then I was like, um, um, I'm done. So you're not, you're you know, not, you're not one for the slow burn, like. No, you, you couldn't watch The Wire because it takes nine episodes to get to where it needs to be. I think I have to have some invest investment in the character. And Luke Cage didn't grab you in like me. the first episode. It didn't. I'm sorry. Oh, I, mean, I, I don't just care. Like, well, did you watch Jessica Jones? I and even with that, I I got I got bored. <laughs> I, I, hey, that's fine with me. I didn't make it because I'm just like <laughs> I went through I went through the 1970s with black black exploitation movies, you know. You know, Superfly and all and that's of that. That's what he started it's, out as a black exploitation comic. Yeah, and so it it felt like that to me. It was just not without the Richard Pryor and the you know the the leisure suits and that sort of thing. Mm. I it just didn't catch me. Richard Pryor's 
his daughter is a comedian now. Have you ever listened to her? Rain. Yeah, Rain? she's really good. Rain Pryor. I think I think she's freaking awesome because this one sister that didn't mind having natural hair, and I thought that that was just really really yeah, awesome. Yeah, she was ahead of the game on a lot of stuff. Well, I like that, and I I've been told that I'm kind of a, a weirdo in my field as well, so. Good. Maybe that's, that's a good why. segue because I still don't understand what you do. And I'm going to read a tweet that you put to explain to people, and I'm going to say some of it wrong. Oh, oh right. no. So, system I, thinking <laughs> is not big words or dynamic images, but rather fearless and missed uncertainty. Never apologize for questioning hashtag systems. Please explain <laughs> those 140 characters to us. And this is why I said at the beginning you're smarter than me. <laughs> oh, my gosh. See, that's when things start to haunt. You put those words out there, and I should have should just had a quote quotation from Sharknado, and then you just would have left it alone. No, there yeah, would be no this discussion. Is this is better. Okay, well, well what I, I mean I do as a compliment because life, it's just like I don't know what that is. Well, I was listening to you on the Singularity Bros. Um, yeah, I thought that that was one of my more accessible interviews. Honestly, yeah, I'm a, so I'm at their level. <laughs> I like no, them. No, I, I, I actually found that stuff really fascinating. I, I thought that you have this, um, in that particular episode at least, like a real Neil deGrasse Tyson quality or like Bill Nye where oh. you could take complex things and explain them to like high intellect people and then people who like, like I'm interested in it but I don't get, like you could speak English and like I totally got it and you had a personality and were uh, fun. I had a personality. Oh, awesome! Like, scientists sometimes can be known for being flat. Personality and academia don't necessarily go together. No, I mean, no. God. I just, for <laughs> me, it's ter- It's I always consider it very waspy. It's just like a picture of my well, grandmother. Well, I... If, did you see my picture? I'm not a wasp, so... No, I know that. <laughs> <laughs> but, but that's not, how I... Not, that's how not I, even... Oh, I understand. Oh, I can. But that's how I picture academia. I, I mean, I mean, I went to college. I had my bachelor's, and I went to school in Vermont, where it was like a different kind of school. Like I called my professor professors by the first name, and it wouldn't be. Like oh, that sounds you like what Bennington or something like that. Yeah, not Bennington. Far. Uh, Green Mountain College. Oh, so in that whole okay, the whole strange. Oh, Vermont is just a strange place. So yes. I hear anyway. And no, so, I had a science class. Um, uh, natural history of Vermont class, fascinating class. And so we would go on field trips a lot. And one of the field trips, our professor took us to his home and his wife made us lunch for the last class. And that's oh. nothing bad. It was just like, it's that kind of thing where like you actually have like a, almost like a friendship with these people. It, it was cool. It was just different. It was a liberal arts school. It wasn't like a, I'm not sure where, where you work or teach or anything, but it, it wasn't like a, like a Harvard where it's just like a team Oh, I didn't go to you. Harvard. I was a I was a Buckeye What's three that? times over Ohio the Ohio the Ohio State University. Great, I, I the 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 Ohio State the. There's yes. got more than one, right? Ohio no, State School. We, well, we have branches. There's, there's yeah, okay. Newark. Yeah, we have we have branches, but yeah, we have to say the is part of the official name, the okay. Ohio State University. So back to my quotes. Oh goodness, maybe yeah, I should go back down. to my Twitter. Break it down. Um, <laughs> well, just tell you a little bit about me. Um, my time in academia ha- or in this whole intellectual world has not been linear. I've 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 had this kind of a weave in and out and this kind of discover rediscovery and discovery. In my opinion, I believe that's the way education should be. Uh, I loved so many different things in school that it really became confusing for me to actually latch on to something. I know when I was talking to the Singularity Bros, I, I kind of related myself to a really bad first date that keeps asking questions and keeps eating the breadsticks at Olive Garden and you just want the check sort of thing. Uh, that's just never how been there I before. Am. <laughs> no, you've not. Oh, you just like I've had enough breadsticks, please. No, when they have free freaking breadsticks, you're just like bring me four freaking baskets of them. You just don't stop. Well, I'm the same way with questioning the universe. 
So, okay. um, I really loved literature. I loved languages. I loved science. I loved almost everything with the exception of Latin. Um, oh, that's the worst. I know. I, I, I've studied, oh, I studied Latin, Spanish, Kiswahili, and Somali. So I've studied four different languages in my past. And everyone's like, it's like, as everyone else does. This yeah, is I, this I is not abnormal. No, that's not abnormal were you whatsoever. Abnormal as a child with this, like were you a very? Prodigy? I was. Uh, no, I wasn't a prodigy. I was just very uh, unpopular. <laughs> that was a nice way to put that. <laughs> well, no, it's 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 really hard to fit in when um, I know in middle school I had a really great core of friends. One of my friends is actually a director. I don't know if you have. Amazon, but Good Correct. Girls Revolt. Get the fuck out of is, here. I just she's finished my, watching that. She's, oh my freaking God, that is Elijah Johnson. That is my girl. We went to school together. Are I've known her almost, yes, I've known her all my life. I just was texting her. So yeah, that's one of my best friends in life. And I just had a kind of this incubator of all of us who are just kind of weird but all that weirdness worked for all of us. We weren't, we didn't judge each other. This is all in Ohio. But yeah, actually, a really small town in 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 southern Ohio. So I'm not even from a rural. I'm from a rural area. Mm-hmm. I'm not from an urban center. And people are somewhat surprised when they hear that. I'm from Appalachia. So it's one of those areas where everyone knows everyone else, but it's not necessarily an area where people are thinking that we're going to go to. A, Harvard or we're going to mm-hmm. because it is a, such a close-knit community that you know people tend to stay close yep um, but all of my friends you know some have gone to the Mayo Clinic to be physicians others are in the arts I mean we're just all strange birds but it was all cool they used to call me dingy that was my nickname because they thought I was like kind of kooky mm-hmm. they thought I was smart but kooky I see that. Um, yeah, you can see that. I remember I was on Quiz Bowl, which also made me like a like one of the most popular girls in school that I was on Quiz Bowl. But I yeah, was never out. Doesn't that get you uh, prom queen? That's how that, get, that's <laughs> how that gets you. No, my sister actually was the first African American in our town to become Miss River Days. Oh, it's and that so kind she of small won. Time? Yes, yes. It's well, that so that's kind of small I grew town. up in a very diverse city area, so that would like. Yeah, yeah. So, so she won the beauty contest. I, you know, got you know I was taking the national Latin exam, and that was kind of like my my claim to fame sort of thing. So you're you almost like you kind of missed nerd being cool by like a year or two. Yeah. Well, no, you're really making me young. It was. I want I you to come say, back on the show. I gotta be good here. Oh no, I'll, I'll, I'll come back. But um, believe me, when I was in school, we still had floppies. Yeah, I remember that. Okay, yeah. you had yeah. Apple IIe's and yeah. Oregon Trail. Yeah. This is when I was like, I was like, my mom believed that the future was in computer programming. Hey, go mom. Go mom. But she. Can't, she doesn't use a computer. She still doesn't know how to use a computer. So she's not listening. But she's like, you, no, she probably will. They checked, they actually listened to my singularity bros. Shout out mom. My fam, my mom, my, my family, they say, oh, we love you, but we don't know what you're talking about. Is that hard to you know? Because I feel like uh, there's probably, I feel like if we talked long enough and like we were at a bar drinking by hour two, I'm like, I, I'm lost. You're lost? Well, not yet. I, I don't drink. Me neither. I don't drink. I don't So either. I'm like... So I guess, but I feel like I love good conversation, but like, um, I do want to get to this whole questioning the universe thing, because that is something I'm fascinated by, and I want to hear more about that. Ooh. But continue on. Oh, well, back, well, well, what I was trying to say in my whole circular kind of Neil, Neil kind of Neil Bill Nye, Reese, yeah, kind of thing is... When I came to understand that I loved looking at the world as a complex thing, because the world is complex, I understand that we love to simplify everything in our lives. 
Because that makes us happy. It makes us comfortable. I don't necessarily like living in the comfort. <laughs> you know, I, I enjoy really grappling with these questions. I always imagine myself, you know, if I were, you know, um, a white male being able to sit next to Aristotle and talking about blah, 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 blah. But I'm not, I'm neither one of those things. So he probably wouldn't have been talking to me under the apple tree. But if I had that opportunity, I see myself, you know, you know, musing over, musing over what's happening in the world. But when I entered college a long time ago, what was really popular was biomedical engineering. Um, so this is back when there was artificial hearts. We were talking about artificial hearts. Okay. And so I was a biomedical engineering major when I entered college. And I knew I loved science. And I still love science to this day. But I knew it wasn't the mechanical love for science. Mm-hmm. But there's something about this whole inquiry about the natural world crossing with the social world that I really wanted to learn more about. And so I realized the engineering wasn't for me. But I kind of came back to it when I entered the systems and complexity world. Because some will say it's a kind of an engineered way of looking in the world. But the one thing that I do in the systems world is I don't want to merely talk about algorithms and models because honestly, we're talking about people and messing up people's lives if we're basing everything on big data. You know, and so a lot of what I like to talk about is kind of getting into that nitty gritty of lived realities, that complexity of everything, of people who are making decisions about their health or their lives. And it can't can always come out. Oh, um, an example. Uh, I had this really cool um, article that I wrote in the Yale Journal for Humanities and Medicine many, many years ago. Uh, Dr. Howard Spiro, who um, was a great advocate and and supporter of my work, who unfortunately passed away some years ago, but he told me not to give up on my weirdness. And I didn't get what he was saying. So I I wrote this article about um, my family and our struggle with diabetes. Uh, We're an African-American family, and genetically we are predisposed to um, c- complications for diabetes and I was kind of writing this narrative about how our family is is tied to sugar and not just the sugar sugar for us or food to us is love it is our lineage something that's passed down on yellowed recipe cards right but though those things are being passed down you know, we ate everything from the rooter to the tutor. My grandmother ate pig snout and the pig tail because in our culture, you never let anything go to waste because that, that's all we had. Um, and so now I was looking at this whole generational thing of this is all we had. Now we know that we are dealing with these maladies that at astronomical rates um, that we hopefully – um, in, in my lifetime, I hope that we'll be able to reverse. But for me, health is something that's um, like visceral. When when people around me are ill, I feel that. I mean, it sounds kind of strange. <laughs> um, I'm just not looking at data. If I did, I may become an epidemiologist, which means I would just be calculating uh, odds ratios and prevalence rates or just, you know, Bean counting and getting a sense of so what are uh, you looking at? What I'm looking at is using system science, using primarily social network analysis. So how you know those, those little maps where they have the little balls and the sticks that are, that connect all the balls. Mm-hmm. All the balls are the people, or they could be institutions, or they could be whatever, every, anything you want to call them. And they're connected by ties. And so I'm really trying to look at how we are socially connected. So everything that I do is kind of using that system science methodology, but also understanding that these balls are people. (laughs) These balls are people with ethics and morals and proclivities to make their own darn decisions. 
And sometimes those decisions are also made under duress or can be made in relationship to someone who has power over them. So those are the sorts of things. And maybe I could say it's kind of a cautionary tale, but we can't just end with the model. We just can't end with the mental model. We can't just end with the big data because these are actually people who are walking around and actually living these lives. And so a lot of what I do, and in my book, I try to um, bring some of those issues out. Um, I know I use literature a lot in my in my book. I use Tennessee Williams' Glass Menagerie, and I also used um, uh, John Keats, a poem by John Keats. I referenced that, and also some African-American political scientists, W.B. Du Bois and Anna Julia Cooper. And so that was in itself kind of strange to be bringing those things into what some would say would be a very engineered approach to how people are living uh, living health-wise. So I think that's just an indication how freaking weird. If I could have found a way to put Sharknado into my book, I probably would have tried to do that. Yeah. But just couldn't make it work. Couldn't make it work. Couldn't make it work. So, Maybe wow. the next book. You, and you said as you were fascinated by the complexity of the universe? Yeah, yeah, yeah. When I was in fifth grade, um, way back when the curriculum could do some really cool things with their kids, we had speech a speech contest, and I decided to be a part of it. And we had to prepare our own speech, and we had to present it in front of the entire student body. It had to be researched, and you also had to make a poster. And what I decided to do after after research and consultation with my teacher, I said, I want to talk about how people in the world are connected. I didn't know about small worlds or six degrees of separation. I didn't know about any of these things. But I did know that we are all connected in some way. And so my title of my uh, speech was Tie a Bow for Those You Know. And so I had this really... Uh, not good drawing of the world. But anyway, I'm not an artist. But I had all the continents with a bow connecting them. And I was really talking about how a person in Austria could it could be connected to someone from my hometown. that were only so many steps away. I was talking about social network analysis in fifth grade, but I didn't have the words. And sometimes you don't have to have these big, complicated words. I already had a sense that there has to be some type of universal phenomena where we are closer in proximity, even though we are separated um, physically. So maybe it started in fifth grade. Some kids maybe. Would say they're, I'm interested in space. Uh, yeah, no, I, I, um, <laughs> I, I, I feel like I, I fell in love with space as a kid too. Um, of course, when they taught us. At least me, like it was like there was nine planets and Pluto was a planet, and uh, you know as things have gone on and I've kind of keep my eye on NASA here and there. It's just incredible the amount of research. Or uh, I mean, they must have known there's more than nine planets when I was in third grade. Right, that was what our textbook said because there's probably like a lag. But I'm just so fascinated by, the, you know, that old saying: the more you know, the more you don't know. And I, this is wonderful. Chris, right? Yes. I want to I make sure I don't... Yeah, Chris. I wrote a book because I was... I wanted it to somewhat be timeless. Um, I know in the academic world, it's very common to write journal articles uh, to, do, to do some type of study. And I, I wanted something that could sit on a shelf and someone could pick it up 20 years from now and there will be some basic tenets, basic ideas that they'll be able to come back to and still apply once we have more knowledge. You know, oh, and I so love that, that concept. No, I, I hope that's what I've, I've accomplished, but that's really what I wanted to do. I have published journal articles. Um, most of them have been in public health because that's where I primarily reside. Is that where your, your interest is in and in space is like your hobby? Um, space is, space is actually more my, uh, kids' hobbies. They have the mm -hmm. telescope and do all of that. I just love 
the combination of the physical and the social and kind of that kind of that world. So if there was some type of idea where I could have a major called like social biology, if I could create that, that would have been me. That would have been the absolute perfect major for me. But it didn't exist because we have our silos. So I was psychology and I had a double major in psychology and in black studies because I had to keep it real and then I had to understand why the world was as uh, weird as it is. <laughs> keep, keep trying to keep me down. Yeah, I don't. I don't mean that in a, a joking way. Like um, I, I, I completely yeah. understand. I went to school I for sociology, understand. so like I, uh, I completely understand some knowledge mm-hmm. of it's. Uh, uh, without we won't get into what's happening right now, but you know the things. Well, that, you know yeah. we had to, ladies and gentlemen, we actually yeah. did have to d- delay this podcast. We uh, scheduled it the day after the election result and the day we got the results. And we were, thank God, we're in that's, you were nice enough to understand. I was just like, I emotionally, I, I couldn't do it. I, you well, know, I, I, I wasn't to, there either. I yeah. wasn't there either. I had a debate with a friend of mine about that, and that was enough for me. <laughs> that debate with my friend was enough for me. I was like, we're not going to agree What's agreed to disagree. I I just know that um, in my world of complexity and policy, uh, we deal with a lot of reactants. We call it policy reactants, mm-hmm. which means that we don't put a lot of thought into how we make policy decisions. It's a lot of the Emotion rhetoric. Based. Emotion based, the rhetoric, and it's always in some type of uh, urgent uh, situation. And so we're not using a lot of due diligence and a lot of time and thought into discerning what the best course of action should be. And so I feel that we are definitely going to have more of that rhetoric tinged policy reactance going on, um, doing the same old things um, because there really wasn't any policy presented by a particular candidate. Um, but just uh, kind of doing whatever so, he wants to do. I have a science question that kind of relates to this. It relates to this actually. So is it? it it's true that humans don't actually have a true concept of time, and that's why we can't really just like, like, I, I mean, I understand the universe is billions of years old but like i don't know if my head really truly wraps around that so that almost in the same way when you're making a policy that should be looking at the next 50 years uh people aren't voting thinking of the next 50 years which i think is like this election and uh Brintex is kind of that same thing of like the immediate emotion of now but not really thinking about future generations let's put it this way if they're thinking future generations they're probably thinking of their kindred they're thinking of people that are closest to them you know, Not the voters would say, yeah, they'll say, they'll, they'll probably say the people who are in their small, um, clique or social network. I want to have a life in this configuration for my children or my children's children. There may not necessarily be, you know, broadening that to uh, a societal level. Um, what I can say is time is, is, necessary in policy it is necessary in systems because we're not static things are always going to change uh i know i'm when i was talking to the singularity bros i mentioned that um because they asked about anarchy (laughs) and whether we can completely overthrow a system and i said well we can't overthrow a system because the system is already there what they're going to do is most likely what they're going to do is just retool it to, for their own devices of what that group, ruling group, wants. So then we would have another system, but we're also living with all the other crap that happened before. So you have the crap that happened before, you have the reality right now, and then the prayers that go into the future that we hope that something good is going to come out of it. So you have the past, present, and future as some you know, time burrito, hmm. you know, wrapping over. It, yeah. Is there anarchy policy in the universe? Bur- policy burrito. Um, that's a new term. 
I'm going to copyright that. Uh, yeah, Policy burrito. So can there be anarchy within the universe? I mean, people are always going to rebel. I mean, people are always going to rebel. But the fact that we are human systems, the the fact is that we don't live by ourselves. We can sit and rant and rave, uh, rave all, rant all we want if we're on our own, you know, deserted island and nobody's listening to you, right? But that has no consequence because what we are are social beings. We live in communities. We have to delegate power. We negotiate power. We have the powerful. We have the powerless. This is this is what we do. This is how we are. This is our social order. Uh, so anarchy to me is something that is wishful. Um, whether it is something that can be accomplished um, in the way that we conceptualize it, I'm not sure that it can be uh, because there's just so much history that's already left by a system. Uh, that you are fighting generations of policies and not just, we can't simply say you're changing one thing. It's this weave of all these different social policies that you then have to untangle. Um, but if you're talking from a politics point of view, the rhetoric would say, yes, anarchy is definitely possible. The reality, I think, would be something different. Uh, one thing I wanted to make sure we bring up before um, we hit the uh, the hour, you also, uh, I believe you referred to yourself as a uh, misfit scholar. Is that something you can expand on? <laughs> I already explained I was a misfit in my childhood. I'm a misfit as an adult. Um, How does yeah, that appeal my- to like working in academia? Like, Has it benefited you? It doesn't. <laughs> it makes it more difficult. Um, again, I, I have a master's in African, African-American studies, and then I also have degrees in public health, public health and, and I've also studied health communication at a doctoral level as well. And so that's somewhat unusual mm-hmm. <laughs> um, well, so- for individuals to come from all of these worlds um, interdisciplinary is something, or transdisciplinary is the, you know, it's the flavor of the flavor of the week. You'll hear a lot of talk about that in the scientific world, but in the reality, it's extraordinarily difficult for that kind of work to be to be funded. Uh, so I think that's why I started blogging my org complexity blog that I started several years ago. Mm. Um, I started getting traction with my blog and I know I had like, I mean for an academic blog, I had like 6,000 visits in a few years for an academic blog with no marketing and no name recognition. I was pretty pleased by that. Yeah, that's great. You know, it, that was actually, that was actually good. And after I stopped the blog because of playing like, now what's next? I said, now I'm going to compile all of this into a book. And I found a really uh, good or new young editor who was looking for some innovative work in public health ethics. And she, so I was like, well, do you think I could put everything together and do this book? And she's like, Heck yeah. And so we worked for a year and a half and that became my book. Now I'm starting a journal. When's the podcast going to start? When you tell me and show me the ropes. <laughs> if you're serious, just write to me after. I could tell you everything. It's not that hard. Um, yeah, so I think that as an academic, and I, I have been in academia for some time and this I'm in, uh, sorry, a clinical assistant professor at a medical school, and I was also an instructor, and I still want to remain in academia. Uh, but I also know that what I am selling in ac- academia is unusual. And so I am looking for programs or departments that see worth in what, I, what I'm doing. So with that African-American studies degree do you have, are you able to kind of look at data from a different perspective and historical context um you know strangely and i'll and i'll say this um oh people in black studies do not get upset with me um there was the the afrocentricity discussion in black studies 
so much time was spent on that because the assumption was, of course, and right, perhaps rightfully so, is that we were getting the Eurocentric discussion in, you know, in all of the other, in all the other departments. And so there really wasn't as much um, kind of like cross discussion of outside of the Afrocentric perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, I was very immersed in that African politics, African American literature, African American politics. Um, they, I was kind of dubbed Du Bois because I would do lectures as a graduate student. A professor, Dr. James Upton, who was an emeritus professor now, he's well known for discuss, talking about African American riots. He was just like, Michelle, I really want to use whatever, what brain you have. I know you're only a master's student, but why don't you come in and give lectures on souls of black folk and tying it to, you know, constitutional law? I was like, really? He said, yeah. He said, because I know you can do it. And so I had this 30-page notes of a lecture that I would give every semester, and he would let me lecture. I mean, that was just a really bold statement. Honestly, I don't, maybe he just didn't want to lecture that day. But, you know, I have to be very grateful because I have what you need is a few teachers along the way that are willing to go outside of the box and let you be you and let you grow in your very unique way. And Dr. Upton was that, like that for me. Miss Bruner in fifth grade in the, um, was that for me. Uh, in fifth grade, it wasn't common to do black history. It wasn't in the curriculum, but she was like, we are doing black history. And this was years ago. She's like, we're going to do black history. So, I mean, I've had some really radical teachers in my past. Um, being in a conventional educational system has at times been difficult for me. Um, but I, I tried to learn the ropes the best that I could. Um, but I think this whole community of podcasters, you guys are mit- misfits too, because you realize there's a space out there that isn't being, um, isn't being addressed. There's an audience that's not being addressed. So you're like, what the hell? Let's just start this podcast. That's what I did with my blog. That's kind of what I did with my book. This is what I'm doing with my journal. Cause I was like, nobody's doing this. I want people to do short films for my journal. I mean, this is the kind of visualization that I want for my journal. This wouldn't fly in a, you know, academic journal, but it's worth saying. It's worth doing. Um, so this road that I'm taking, the roads that you're taking with all of your podcasts is the fact that sometimes we don't give a damn, that we just have to do it and how the, you know, how the chips fall, they fall. Uh, but so far, you know, I'm liking where I'm going, and that's all, all I can ask for. Damn, <laughs> that's awesome. Oh, I don't know if it's awesome or, or just foolhardy. I, I, I think I, I, the world I really, may never know. I mean, I I have not completed my PhD, surprisingly enough. And well, so, neither have I. I mean, I never well, started well, well, one, I sta- but <laughs> I started one. Yeah. I started a I started a few, <laughs> um, but. I always had difficulty because I kept questioning things and I, I, so eventually I will finish one. Yeah. But you know, they're like, but you published an academic book. And I said, yes, I have, (laughs) you know, it's in the national library of medicine right now. I have published a book, but convinced I did not take the conventional route. So is that the theme of today's episode? I mean, you're an unconventional person doing unconventional great things. Um, and so can great, you. Great things. You can, oh, sister brothers out there. Yeah, I was just a little poor black child from now. I'm not going to go there. But what I will say is, yeah, it's, like, it's not going to be easy. It's not going to be easy going in this path, particularly if you're going into a field that has very uh, kind of a strict um, way of going about a formality. Um, Academia is is extremely formal. It's very liberal, but it's formal in its structure. I work within the structure, but then I break some rules. 
I break some rules, but I work in the system. I do actually have a question about that. I, I don't sure. know your class growing up at all, but um, do you find working in academia that people almost want to write that narrative of you without actually knowing you? Like I heard Neil deGrasse Tyson talking about that. How people kind of put that on him that he was just a poor black kid from the Bronx, and he'll be the first to say he's like, no, I no. had a middle class upbringing. You know, the people right. put that no, on him. Like, sure, the assumption would be was that called like that microaggressions? Microaggressions. Yes. Yeah, like it's like oh you're. They yeah, want to make this like success story, and you're like, nah. Well, I'm I'm not gonna say that I'm not gonna say that my my race always made things easy, um, but I right, and I'm sure. But as as Neil said, I I came from a middle class upbringing. My father was a nuclear material accountant. In he worked at the uranium enrichment plant. Jesus. That's where I worked in the summer. I that, worked in the uranium what? plant. That, so that's like when most people work in a restaurant or I worked on a farm. <laughs> you worked in I a worked nuclear in the uranium, uranium plant. I worked, yeah, my, and see, my father was like the only person. There's like only two places where they enriched uranium. They were in our town and Iran. Oak Ridge. And, oh, in the U.S. I'm just kidding, by the way. So, <laughs> so my father was probably one of two people that could do his job. And so... Yeah, so I came from a very um, different upbringing, but my father is an accountant, so he sees things very, hey, this is a ledger, this goes here, mm-hmm. we need to account for where the uranium is, that's very important. There's no there's no fuzzy, and I'm more the fuzzy thinker, <laughs> so, but yeah, I had a very middle class upbringing, my aunt um, is an opera singer, Kathleen Battle, she just had a performance at the Met after absence of 20 years. And so I grew up with, you know, an aunt who sang opera all around the world. And all of the, all of my parents' kids, all of, all of us went to college. And, awesome. you know, I mean, it is awesome. But, yeah, I mean, people might want to create a narrative about me. But I don't think they would say I came from a small town in southern Ohio. Um, that may not be jump to their minds um but it did create who i am and where where i've gone where i'm going next is yet to be seen but hopefully it's going to be fabulous i hope there's an audio podcast involved well what i would be excited to do that um i i find that i when i'm talking out loud and i do apologize for the people who are driving in their car right now they're like oh my god why did she stop Talking through on the podcast for me really helps me kind of reaffirm or or better suggest where I'm going next with my work. So, yeah, maybe one of these days I'll write a, a biography, autobiography about my life. You know, one day who's that strange black woman who came from a small town in southern Ohio who wrote that really weird stuff about systems. Yeah. That's a terrible title. That would be a terrible We're title. We're going to need to get you an agent to like, be like, nah, Michelle, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta oh, work I'm on your sorry. title. I'm, I, I gotta think of something. But like, when I was, I did the podcast with Singularity, I was like, we are, I'm the bat hive of systems. I'm biting off Beyonce. I told them we're going to make t-shirts and we still haven't done it. Zach hasn't gotten back to me on the t-shirts. So I'm like the bat hive. I'm just trying to build that bat hive. There's bay hive. I'm trying to build this bat hive of people in the systems community. And I'm going to be like the poster child for it. That's beautiful. So um, is there any anything we missed? Uh, I don't think we've missed anything. Um, Was this to your liking? I I, I feel like I, you... I believe it's I believe it's to my liking. I I I see another appearance perhaps in the future, but. Yeah, cause I don't think I ever answered what systems thinking my that quote you used. Yeah. But hey, that's just to tantalize for people to say we have to have her back, have her back. Yeah, I don't so, know if this is the show where people are gonna come and want that answer. And I, I, oh, I don't, why I don't, not? Listen, I don't know who listens, but if if someone wants it, <laughs> so if someone actually wants to know what it is, where the, where can they find you online? Oh, where can they find me online? I have a few places. The best places to follow me would be my Twitter 
at mbattlefisher. That is my personal Twitter. I also have a Twitter for my journal. My journal is called Org Complexity, and it can be found at at Org Complexity on Twitter. I also have a personal webpage, which is mbattlefisher.wix.com forward slash org complexity. So if someone's interested in my scholarship, they can go there. I also have a Facebook page for my journal as well as a personal Facebook page. Michelle has one L, so it's M-I-C-H-E-L-E, but Battlefisher is a pretty unique uh, yeah, last name, so yeah, it is the best. I I I love it. So if they look me up on Facebook, you should be able to find me find me there as well. Awesome. Well, but thank you. Next uh, is coming the podcast. Next is the podcast. Thank you so much for uh, for doing this. Oh no, thank you, Chris.